Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Mark chapter 5. It's been a few weeks because we had Baptist Children's Home. That was awesome. And then last week we had... Excuse me, Operation Christmas Child uh, dedication. But now we're back taking a look at the miracles of Jesus Christ. We started in chapter 5 a while back because we've seen Jesus' power over uh, the devil and demons when he cast the multitude of demons out of that terribly afflicted man. Then a few weeks ago, we seen Jesus' power over disease when he healed a woman who had a chronic 12-year-long blood disorder. In both of those instances, their interaction uh, with Jesus uh, radically transformed their lives. And the account we're going to look at this morning, uh, beginning in verse 21 of Mark chapter 5, it it surrounds um, the healing of that woman I just mentioned uh, Jesus paused to change her life while he was on his way to help someone else. That man's name was Jairus. He was an important figure in the community at uh, Capernaum, where Jesus had preached in the synagogue, where he'd done many miracles. He was a leader in the local synagogue there, and he needed help. He needed help. He was desperate. Uh, His only daughter, just 12 years old, Uh, She was sick. She was on her deathbed. And this morning, we're going to find that the master, Jesus Christ, he's got power over demons, disease, even death. Let's read it, beginning in verse 21 of uh, Mark 5. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet, and he besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him. And much people followed him and thronged him. Now drop down to verse 35, please. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter's dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and he seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel's not dead, and she sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel, and them that were with him, and entereth in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand, and he said unto her, Talitha kumi, which is being interpreted damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years, and they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it, and he commanded that something should be given her to eat. This is such a beautiful story, such a beautiful account of the power of Jesus Christ over what we might think. I mean, we've seen it over demon possession. We've seen it over disease. He's even got power over death here. Look at verse 21. Verses 21 to 23. Jesus now, coming back across, 
the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And um, it says in verse 22 that uh, a man came to him and made a request. Let's look at the man's request. And, and we see his dependence on display in verses 22 and 23. But, but look at that. Verse 22, uh, Jairus, he comes. And what does it say at the end there? When he saw Jesus, what did he do? He fell at his feet. I mean, do you see the faith of this man? Before he even uttered a single word of this request he was about to in verse 23, it says he fell at his feet. His situation was so utterly helpless, so utterly hopeless, that it forced him to a dependence on Jesus Christ, a dependence in Jesus Christ, as the only one that could deliver him. His dependence was on full display. A big crowd is there. And here's this important, prestigious man in the community, and he literally falls at Jesus' feet. I mean, his dependence was on display. Now, this has actually happened twice already, way back in, when Jesus healed the demon-possessed man. It says in verse 6 of this chapter that when he saw Jesus, he came and he worshipped him. Uh, the word worshipped in Greek is proskuneo. It means he bowed down in submission. Uh, literally, knees fell before Christ. In verse 33, when we talked about the woman with the issue of blood, uh, verse 33 here, it says that um, a different word, prospepto, but it means that she laid out prostrate. I mean, when Jesus called her to him, she, she laid out prostrate in submission. We could say she was floored in dependence. That's the exact same word that's used here in verse 22 for Jairus' display of dependence. And we can learn a lot from those three examples, couldn't we? Now, that's how we are to approach Jesus Christ. Nobody comes to Jesus, not at least for saving faith, full of pride, full of arrogance, no, if you're going to come to Jesus Christ, you come dependent. You come needy. You come with open hands. The only thing you bring is your need of him and your belief in him. That's what Jairus did. What kind of faith do you have this morning? Is it one that comes to God? As it comes to Jesus and says, you know, if you could do this for me, if it's your will, if it's even within your power, I'd really appreciate it. Or is it like, like this, a display of dependence, a, a knees hit the floor, laid out in submission, I can't do anything without you, I desperately need you, you're my only hope, please help me, oh great God. I mean, that's what we sung this morning, right? How great is our God, how great thou art. And we sing it and we believe it, but do we display it through our dependence on him? That's what we are to do. And then secondly, in verse 23, we see a, a persistence in his plea. It says he besought him greatly, verse 23. In uh, the original language, that means that he begged Jesus very much. This wasn't like, you think you can do it? No? Okay, I'll come back later. No, he begged Jesus greatly, uh, begged Jesus much. There's an urgency uh, to his request, a, a fervency. Basically, he wasn't letting Jesus leave until he did this for him. There was a persistence in his request. What does Jesus' own brother James tell us in James 5, 16, specifically about when there are sick people in your church family? What does he say we're to do? We're to pray, right? And it says the uh, effectual, fervent, fervent prayer, persistent, it keeps going. Uh, prayer of a righteous man availeth much. If you and I are going to ever see the power of God avail much, sometimes it's required that we beseech much, that we don't give up, that we keep on praying. It's a lot of requests we've kept on praying for this year. We've seen God answer. Some in ways that seem like that's what we expected him to do. Sometimes in ways where that's not how we would have had it go. 
But we know God will answer. We need to be persistent in our prayers. We got a dad here. I think if you look in verses 21 to 23, this is a dad whose heart is shattered. Can you imagine? Some of you can imagine because you've experienced it. A child who you dearly love and doesn't look good. Doctors say there's no hope. This is who Jairus is right now. Total desperation, total dependence. This man of great position in the community, really famous, great prestige. He humbly falls on his face before Jesus and persistently begs him uh, for help. Such a beautiful picture of saving faith. This guy's prestige, his power, his uh, position in the community, didn't do anything. He's totally powerless. I mean, you could be a governor. Doesn't matter if your daughter's sick and dying, she's sick and dying. Uh, his fame in the community, totally futile as far as helping her, but he saw Jesus. He'd heard about what Jesus had done, probably witnessed it there. If he was a leader in the synagogue, he'd seen Jesus heal there, cast out demons before, heard Jesus teach. And so he goes to Jesus for help. This is what he says, come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. There's a lot of faith in there, isn't it? He said, I've seen you do it for someone else. I want you to do it for me. Uh, he believed. That's really the key understanding of verses 21 to 23. Yeah, it's, uh, his belief, his faith is displayed in his dependence, this posture of bowing down uh, prostrate before Jesus, completely dependent on him for help, but also in the persistence of his prayers. Do you know that uh, quite a few times, it's only when we reach a period of desperation when we're going through some circumstance where there's no way out, it's only then that we can initially come to Jesus. And it might be some of your testimony. Like when I came to Christ, I had no other option. Man, there's nothing for me. And I turned to Jesus. You know, if that's our situation, what a gift. What a gift that is. That we might come to know him as our Savior and we might have eternal life. And honestly, as a Christian, that doesn't mean we're uh, devoid of that either. Sometimes God will send situations in your life and my life that will make us get to a point of desperation where we're no longer depending on ourselves and our abilities and our strength because he wants us to be dependent on him. He wants the worship of someone who's laying out prostrate before him saying, you know what? I can't live. I can't breathe. I can't. My heart doesn't beat without you. I'm totally dependent on you. He wants the intimacy of communication that's uh, that we enjoy and he enjoys in, in persistent prayers. Is this where you are this morning? If it is, it's a good thing. It is. It's where every one of us needs to be, bowing before the only one who sustains us. That's what Paul told um, the, the Athenians in Athens. Uh, didn't believe in God, and he told them, he said, look, it's in him that we live and move and have our being. The only reason you're alive right now, the only reason you're taking that next breath is because he says so. And that truth right there and, and our living our faith out, it requires us to put our dependence on display to God. It requires us to be persistent in our pleas to him. Do you know I've seen requests answered decades, decades long for somebody to get saved. One of my friends, they wanted their granddad to come to know Christ as Savior. He never did, never saw his need for it until he was on his deathbed. Decades of prayer and he trusted Christ as Savior. Man, don't give up, be persistent in your pleas. Have we seen the power of prayer? We've seen the power of prayer this year in this church. 
Be persistent in your pleas. Look at the master's response in verse 24. I love this. Verse 24 says, And Jesus went with them. After all this uh, laying out prostrate, after these persistent pleas, it says that Jesus answered him. He got to least the first part uh, of an answered prayer. Jesus went with him. Uh, and people followed him and, and thronged him. That's the first answer to prayer. What a beautiful comfort we have right there. And uh, realizing that the same is true for us. We might be praying. We might have to wait for the complete answer to our prayers. Uh, we might have to wait a long time, at least on our schedule and our perspective. But it says right here that there's an immediate answer to prayer. Even in the fact that you can pray, you have that answer right there. Jesus is with you. God is with you, Christian. Uh, always with you, walking with you through your desperate circumstance. Do you understand that if you're a child of God, there is a through? There's always a through. He will walk with you through it. That's not the end. He will walk with you through it. Maybe right now you're pretty much free of problems. I hope so. That's a good thing. I don't have any desperate situations, no life-threatening circumstances on the horizon. But have you ever considered this? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that God might be desiring that you, that you be the partial answer to someone's prayer. Maybe they've shared with you their pain that they're going through, just like Jairus did, their desperate situation. And you want to point them to Jesus, and you should, but you don't know what to say. Have you ever been there? You're just like, I don't. How do I help you? Sometimes you don't have to say anything initially. What if you could answer their prayer, at least in part and right away, by being Jesus went with them? by you just being with them, by walking uh, with them through this. And then, yes, pointing them to Christ. You know, in studying this over the past few weeks, I've tried to put myself in Jairus' shoes, knowing his desperation, um, knowing that he's got this initial glimmer of hope right now because Jesus went with him. But then we find what happens here in verses 25 to 34. We skipped over that because that was a message from a few weeks ago. I mean, try to put yourself in Jairus' shoes. You go to the master, you beg him for help. He says yes, and he starts going, and then there's this interruption. There's actually a few of them. There's a big crowd. Have you ever been around a big crowd that impedes your progress? That's why every last three years we go to, we go to OCC on Black Friday, because I don't like big crowds impeding my progress. I mean, this is what Jairus, Jairus has got an emergency situation here. He's not trying to get a 30-inch TV. I mean, he's got an emergency situation. And he's got this big crowd around him. And then there's another interruption. A woman has this need and she reaches out to Jesus and Jesus stops and he takes care of her need. Look, I believe God had a design in all of that. Uh, not just for that woman healed we looked at a few weeks ago, but maybe even for Jairus. Uh, maybe he needed to learn patience, perseverance, uh, while he waited on the Lord to deliver him. Maybe, maybe Jairus needed his faith to be boosted. We're going to find out that he probably did. Can you imagine how it could encourage you if on your way to the miracle you asked God for, you saw a miracle? It's interesting. This is a woman, 12-year-long chronic issue of blood while Jesus is on the way to heal Jairus' daughter who's 12 years old. I just see connections there that, that maybe if Jairus had eyes of faith, he could see and his faith would be strengthened. In any case, you and I are taught through this passage, don't, don't detest delays. Is God sovereign over delays in our life? Yeah. All right. Don't be indisposed to interruptions. Is God sovereign over them? Yeah, in fact, sometimes he sends them with great purpose for your good and, and for his glory uh, in building our faith and building the faith of others. Look at the answer of his power in verses 35 to 41. So there's that partial answer. Jesus went with him. 
But now we've got the, when everything happens, when Jesus delivers, uh, verse 35 is where this account picks up. And here's another interruption. This is one that will, will suck almost every little remaining shred of hope, of faith that you might have in you is bad news. Bad news. And it says in verse 35 that while Jesus yet spake, he was talking to the woman he healed of the blood disorder, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, your daughter's dead. It's over. It's over, Jairus. Don't, don't trouble Jesus anymore. All right? We gave it our best shot. What does Jesus say? Verse 36, Jesus heard this conversation. Listen to what he says to Jairus, to everybody with an earshot, uh, to you and I this morning. He says, be not afraid, only believe. Be not afraid, only believe. There's so much that gets lost in translation from Greek uh, to English sometimes. And, and this, what Jesus says, is, is uh, a present imperative command. So it's important because imperative, it's a command. And Jesus isn't saying, you know what, if you feel like it, uh, stop worrying and believe. Jesus is commanding Jairus, everyone there, you and I, stop being afraid, only believe. And now it's a present imperative. And the present tense there in the Greek is really interesting because he's saying, stop being afraid. Keep continuing to believe. You were believing. Why are you stopping now? Keep going. Keep continuing to believe. Jesus is basically telling Jairus, Jairus, you came to me because you were helpless. You were hopeless. You laid out prostrate before me in total faith minutes ago. <laughs> persisted in please. You grabbed me. Wouldn't let me go until I came and helped you. And now you give up? What's changed? Well, what had changed? She's dead, right? She's dead. She was. There's no denying that. The girl's dead. But what Jesus is trying to communicate to all of them and to you and I this morning is, look, yes, Jesus has a power over demons and the devil. We don't need to be afraid. Jesus has a power of disease, over disease. We don't need to be afraid. But Jesus has the power over death, church. He's got the power, the worst thing that could possibly happen to us. What's being thrown in our faces all year long this year. Jesus says, don't be afraid. I've got the power over death. Do you understand his power is not limited to what we can understand, to what our limits are? His power is not. Is there anything our God cannot do? Is there anything our God cannot do? No. I mean, we sing it. We just sang it this morning. And so in verses 37 to 40, Jesus takes his inner three, Peter, James, and John, tells everybody else, stay put for a little while, and they proceed to Jairus' home. And Jesus gets there. There's quite a ruckus going on, obviously, because it's depressing. It's sad. People cry at funerals. This is on a whole nother level, all right? Because culturally, in, that, uh, in the Jewish culture, um, they would pay for professional mourners to come in, make a big ruckus. That seem a little odd because we live in a different culture. Uh, also, I think we have to understand you and I are on a different timeline than they are. What can we look back to? so that we sorrow, but not as those who don't have hope. Jesus' resurrection, they hadn't experienced that yet. It's been prophesied, they're looking to it, but they didn't have the reality that you and I celebrate every Easter, every Sunday. All right, and so there's that going on. And Jesus delivers the same message to them uh, that he said in verse 36. He says in verse 39, why are you making all this ado? Why do you weep? The damsel's not dead, she sleepeth. Now, Jesus wasn't saying she wasn't really dead. I mean, she was dead. 
He's just saying that her current state is not that sleep of final death like Lazarus. She would rise again. She did. Uh, he was about, what he was about to do here is going to prove that. So in verse 41, it says, He takes the damsel by the hand, and he said unto her, Talitha kumi. That's Aramaic. And he spells it out there, which is being interpreted. And we get the Greek to English interpretation here. Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. I love it that he took her by the hand. You know, Jairus, in his mind, he's like, come in here, lay on hands like you did in the synagogue at Capernaum earlier, and heal her. That worked then. Can you do it now? And Jesus doesn't get put in a box. He doesn't do everything the same way. He comes and takes her by the hand, and then he says to her, Talitha Kumi. It's not a magic spell. Do you know what it means? Little girl, get up. It's what mom and dad would tell her every morning. Hey, breakfast time. Little girl, get up. Time to go to school. And this is what Jesus told her. The voice that spoke her life into existence 12 years earlier now says the same thing. It's time to get up. Time to get up. Look at this miraculous result. What happens when Jesus speaks life? It says in verse 42, straightway, Mark loves using that term, immediately the damsel arose and she walked, for she's of the age of 12 years. Everybody there is astonished with great astonishment. You know, I think it says she walked so that we understand it wasn't an infant, uh, so, you know, 12 years old. But anytime we see the miraculous intervention of Jesus, uh, whether it was with that demoniac earlier in the chapter, this woman with the issue of blood here in the same passage, or uh, here, Jairus and his daughter, there, there's, um, there's always a metaphor there in Jesus' miracles this isn't just about her getting physical healing and being risen to life again or the woman getting physical healing and getting a new lease on life or that demoniac experiencing the same thing. It's to point us to this. We've got a greater problem than any of those. Demon possession, disease, or even death. Human beings have this problem, sin. And sin leads to death. And Jesus offers a greater deliverance. Yeah, he, he raised this girl from the dead, but there was gonna come another time when she died again. But he also could deliver her from that death. And he can deliver you and I from that death as well. This is what the Apostle John says. It's about a year ago we were going through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And the Apostle John said this in 1st John 3, 5. You know that he, Jesus, was manifested to take away our sins. It's first Sunday of Advent. Most of you have got your trees up. I've seen them on Facebook. Right? It's time for Christmas. Why do we celebrate it? Jesus is the reason for the season. Here it is, 1st John 3, 5. And it says, he was manifested. Jesus came here to take away our sins. Aren't you glad for that? I am. It goes on in verse 8 of 1 John 3. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. He might destroy it. I hope in the next few weeks that we can resist the commercialism, uh, the prevalent selfishness that's normal uh, for many people around this time of year, and we can instead focus on why Jesus Christ was manifested, why he came. He came away to take our sins, and he came to destroy the works of the devil. There's no greater work of the devil than death. That's what happened. Adam and Eve tempted him to sin. What happened? We die, not just physically, but spiritually, separated from God, eternity away from God. Uh, so physical death, yes, but it gets worse. So Satan tempts us, the devil's works, he's Works to get us to sin. What does sin always happen when, when you sin? It results in death. Jesus came to fix that. He came to fix it for the demoniac. He came to fix it for the woman with the issue of blood. He came to fix it for Jairus and his little girl. And he came to fix it for you and I. Our way greater problem. A way greater deliverance. That's what Jesus offers us. If we'll stop being afraid and keep on 
believing. See, once we've trusted Christ as Savior, once that occurs, once we move from darkness to light, we're born again, um, what do we do? We do the same thing that Jairus' daughter does. We're to walk. We're to walk. Um, when there's life, there's movement. And we're to walk. Um, when the little girl was raised from the dead, so she walked. She didn't stay on her deathbed, and we're not to do that either. God tells us through Paul, what Daniel read in Romans 6, that we who have been risen with Christ, we who have been born again, who have been saved, we are to walk in newness of life. Tough, tough thing to do in this world. Many temptations to get back in that deathbed. There is. And, and even in our churches, there's not much preaching against sin anymore. Um, we love verses, and I do too, like John 8, verse 7. A woman's caught in adultery. Jesus intervenes to thank God for his grace and mercy. And we hold on to that beautiful truth. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Beautiful truth. Keep reading. Verse 11. What did he tell her? Go and sin no more. Do you understand you've been risen to walk in newness of life? Don't get back in that deathbed. It would have been crazy for Jairus' daughter to do that. It would have been crazy for Jairus to stop believing. You know what else we do beside walk? Look at verse 43. It says that Jesus uh, straightly commanded nobody should know it. He told them. And we've seen reasons why he, he kind of said, don't go and share what, what has happened here. Um, but then he says he commanded that something should be given her to eat. If we're going to walk in newness of life, we need nourishment. We need food. We need to eat. Uh, when there's life, there's movement. When there's life, there, there's growth. You know you always grow? The minute you, you're born, you're growing. Like when you get old, I think I'm shrinking a little now. Sometimes that happens. But I don't think I'm actually shrinking. I'm just, like my spine's compressing or something. But you grow, right? Um, I heard, I don't know, we got nurses. Your nose and your ears always grow. Is that true? Somebody told me that. Maybe? I don't know. But um, I grew a little this weekend. We're always growing. If there's life, there's growing. Uh, Jesus commands them to give her some food. If you're going to walk in newness of life, your resurrected life, you need to eat. She needed to eat. So do we. If we're going to reflect the glorious character, the conduct of our Savior, if we're going to be Jesus, live like Jesus, think like Jesus, talk like him, do what he did, uh, if we're going to walk, we need to eat. We need to be growing, digesting, being nourished by God's word. Look, I'm afraid there's a lot of Christians who once were just like Jairus, bowing, totally laid out. Jesus, you're my only hope, pleading for salvation, experiencing the miracle of resurrection, just like his daughter did, born again, eternally saved, gloriously saved. But you know what they do? Instead of walking, instead of eating, Instead of growing, being nourished by his word, they just live resurrected lives weekly. Not any power. And they get back in the deathbed. Makes no sense. That's not where Jesus wants you. I mean, what do you think Jesus would have thought if she walked around, ate a bite, and then got back in that deathbed? It wouldn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense in the life of the believer either. I mean, if we've been risen with Christ, and we walk with him, and we stay dependent on him. We reflect him. That's not why he saved us to, to go back in there. He's got so much more for us. If we will, as it says here, stop being afraid. Keep on. Keep on believing. 
uh, if we'll get up and walk and eat, if we'll live in a con- constant state of dependence on him, just like Jairus showed us. Tommy's going to come and lead us in uh, invitation hymn. All the way, my Savior leads me. And so my question for you and anyone watching this morning is, what is God using his word to lead you to this morning? What does a Savior want to lead you to? Maybe you've never trusted him. Do it today. Don't wait. Call out to him. Trust him for forgiveness of sins. Ask him to be your Savior. If you have any questions, let me or Tommy or someone here know. Um, we have information on the back of our bulletin on our website, what it means to be born again a Christian. Is there someone you need to walk with? Maybe we're going through that section. God brought somebody to mind and said, you know what, I don't know what to say, but I can walk with them. Or respond. Do what he told you to. And maybe he's reminded you this morning, Christian, you are alive now, risen to walk in newness of life. You're risen to grow in newness of life. Uh, the only way we're going to do that is empowered by his word. Maybe he's saying to you, look, I missed my time with you. Sunday's not enough. i got so much more for you. I want so much more for you. However God's leading you this morning to respond, I just ask that you'd obey. Fall before him. Plead, plead with him. Walk with him. Grow in him.